0: Thank you for all of you for the hours you've spent trying to discern what the Lord wants to do um, through your ministry. Men's ministry, you'll hear from them in a couple weeks, right, Jason? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. One person's for men's ministry. Everybody's for women's ministries. All right. So um, we're in our second um, message or talk on loving mercy and doing justice. So last week I was at a justice conference in New York City. And um, it was not fun. It was actually kind of depressing. Um, I was one of maybe only well, fewer than 10 um, white guys in the room. So this was not a justice conference from the perspective of white male privilege. It was a justice conference with my African American brothers and sisters, my Hispanic brothers and sisters, Asian. It was just, and I, and I just heard the pain of story after story after story of what's going on in their lives. Um, An African-American sister shared the story of Cain and Abel. And God says Cain murdered his brother Abel because he was jealous of him. And God said, the blood of Abel cries out to me from the earth. And then God said, Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? And she said, the blood of young black men is crying out to God from the streets. And when God asks our white brothers where they are, they say, are we our brother's keeper? It was so fascinating to listen to um, people who are living in, under, under institutional racism and, and systemic evil and just hear their stories of what's going on in their lives. We talked about um, mass incarceration. The speaker um, on mass incarceration, African-American guy, um, he shared the story of what happened to him driving to the justice conference. He was in an Uber driven by an African-American male who was pulled over by a police officer. And the driver was informed that it was enforcement day in that community. And he was written a ticket for a minor infraction because it was enforcement day. And then the officer um, asked the speaker in the back seat, show me your driver's license. And the speaker said, why? I wasn't driving. And the officer said, show me your driver's license or you'll face the consequences. So he got his license. He was written a ticket for not having his seatbelt on in the back seat. He said, I'm driving to a justice conference, and this happens to me on the way there. And he was way more charitable than I was. He said, I don't know whether that police officer is a racist or not. He said, maybe it's the way that he was trained. And he said, the real thing that we can't figure out how to fight is institutional racism that just happens. And he says, this is not new in our lives. This has been going on for generation after generation after generation. We talked about women being groped and sexually harassed. We talked, about, um, we talked about the refugee crisis in the world today. Did you know the average age of a person in a refugee camp in the world today? You know how old it is? Seven years old, average age. Average amount of time that a refugee stays in a camp somewhere in the world, average 10 years. Children are growing up in these camps. We talked about mass incarceration. As I said, we talked about the new Jim Crow. Talked about how an affluent white teenager can commit a crime and get a slap on the wrist by the court system. But a poor African-American teenager does the same crime and goes to jail for years so that one out of three young African-American men will spend significant time in jail. As he talked, he, he shared the story of his own father spent 22 years in jail, his mother spent seven years in jail. He says, people always ask me, they say, why are you so emotional about mass incarceration? And he said, I always ask them the question, why are you not? He said, what we don't realize is that when somebody goes to jail, it breaks all of the family structures, breaks all of the systems, He says when somebody goes to jail, that whole family system goes to jail with them. And he said the reason that the scriptures talk to us about visiting those who are in jail is certainly to visit the prisoners, but he says one of the reasons why Christians have to be in prison ministries is so that we're part of people's lives when they get released and so that we can be engaged with them as returning citizens to give them structures so that the recidivism just doesn't do the circle back into prison. He said it takes a decade to recover your health, your emotional health, when you've been in, in prison for, for two years. It takes another decade after that to figure out who you are. So um, we, um, we looked at all of those issues. Here are a couple of quotes, and then I'll get into our text for the day. Um, I just wrote down, as people would say things, either speakers or others. One person said this. He said, everyone loves compassion, but we struggle with justice. I thought that was interesting. That speaker pointed out that the word for justice shows up 422 times in the Old Testament. He says, the church loves compassion. He says, we haven't figured out whether we really love justice. Another person said, when justice is in vogue, as it is today, superficial engagement is easy. Another person said, we have to start asking ourselves, how have I been complicit in cultural racism and oppression? We have a justice deficit because we have a love deficit. Because love is what justice looks like in public. Fascinating comment. Biblical illiteracy results in social inaction. And another one, when the church stays quiet, people die. Diversity is not a social issue. It's a theological issue. This definition of injustice. Injustice is to be in a position of influence and to do nothing. Injustice is to be in a position of influence and to do nothing. If we know better, we must do better. And this reminder... On the journey of justice, we need a community of friends and fellow sojourners. So as we continue um, this series on love, mercy, and do justice, I want to share with you from one of the great justice texts of the Old Testament, Isaiah 58. And I'll read it to you as we go along. But what we're going to see in Isaiah 58 is the first thing we're going to see is the indictment of God against spirituality Without justice. The indictment of God against spirituality without justice. Secondly, we're gonna see an invitation, God's invitation to the justice that he seeks from his people. And then thirdly, we're gonna see the glory of a life that actually pursues justice. So, first, the indictment against spirituality without justice. This is gonna be verses one through five in Isaiah 58. God is the one speaking. And God says, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why, God says. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds, bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Let me try to read that sort of in a modern context. Um, Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast, with a megaphone, post it on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat all at the same time. Don't hold back. Type it in caps. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people their sins and their rebellion. They act so pious. They come to church week after week, sing their songs and listen attentively to the sermons. They seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like righteous people who would never abandon the laws of God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to hear me. We have worshiped and prayed and even fasted before you, God. Why aren't you impressed? We've been hard on ourselves and you don't even notice. I'll tell you why, says the Lord. It's because your spirituality is only to please yourself. It's because your spirituality is narcissism. You always pray for what you want and what you need, and you don't think that it matters the needs of others. You think that we're okay this direction without addressing justice this way. And God goes on. And this, by the way, this is Isaiah 58, powerful text. This is a theme throughout the scriptures. God says he would rather have us performing justice than worshiping him more. He says that if we refuse to address the issues of justice, he doesn't want to hear our singing. He would rather empty out this church than have us think that somehow we're okay with him if we neglect justice in our world. So God says to Isaiah's audience and to us today, what good is spirituality? When you just keep on fighting and quarreling to get what you want for yourselves, this kind of spirituality will never get you anywhere with me, God says. You're only going through the motions. Ouch. So I read through that and I tried to I tried to to feel what that would sound like to the church today and not just to Isaiah's day. And I was convicted of how little black lives must matter to me if I don't do anything about it. I was convicted of how little the famine in East Africa must matter to me if I haven't even done the research to figure out, by the way, 24 million people in a famine in South Sudan and Ethiopia and Kenya. Yet, I'm oblivious to it. And I think I'm okay with God because I'm not sinning. God has a message for his people. He says, we're not okay. This is not just about you sinning less and doing more spiritual disciplines. This life of following me means that you join me in my mission for justice in the world. And we all know that the church will have zero credibility in our culture until we start standing up for what is right. So can we agree that God is not impressed with our rhetoric for justice? God is not impressed until we do something for the poor and the oppressed and the afflicted, and the abused. God doesn't even really want to have a lot more sermons on this. He wants us to start to do something about it. Jesus wants us to have a spirituality of both soul reformation and social reformation. It has to be both. And somehow in our pietism in the church... We thought that we can separate one from the other, but the scriptures keep saying time and time again that it cannot be. So what is this justice that God wants us to embark upon? What is it that God wants us to engage in? And we don't have to wonder because in this text, other texts as well, but in this text, God is so specific about what he wants us to do as his followers. And um, and so I made a list, and there's actually 12 specific things that God says is the justice that he seeks. So, number one. Oh, let me read it to you first. Let's read the... Um, oh, stay on the slide just a second. Um, that was another quote from the, the conference. People need Jesus and a job. We've got to have a, 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 an ethic of personal spiritual depth and re, restoring and reforming our um, society. Okay, the next scriptures. This is the invitation. Um, God, God answers, says, no. This is the kind of fasting, this is the kind of spirituality God says he wants. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Is that the last one on this? Yeah. All right, so I just listed and found 12 specific things that God tells us that his justice is all about. That first one, free those who are wrongly imprisoned. My first thought is, oh, we got to take care of people on death row who were convicted wrongly, and we do have to do that. But then as I I listen to, to talks about mass incarceration, we have to free those who should never have been there in the first place. We have to address the training of police officers so that they do not racially profile the poor and people of color in our nation. We have to free those who should never be in the system. Most of the politicians of the last, until this last um, 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 election, most of the politicians looked back on what we did with with three strikes and you're out and have come to the conclusion that we have wounded an entire race in our nation by using the prisons to solve social issues. You know, when when I was in um, graduate school, I was in. um, in Lincoln, Nebraska, um, doing a a master's in counseling. And that was right about the time that we decided that, that keeping mentally ill people in institutions was too expensive. So what we did is we just threw open the doors and pushed the mentally ill out into the world. And we mostly just transferred them from institutions to prison. We've got to stop saying that prison is the way to solve problems that need to be addressed in other ways. We need to free those who are wrongly in prison. Those of you who are studying law, those of you in public policy, can lead the rest of us here at Cornerstone and in the church at large to know wise ways to go about doing this. Secondly, God says, lighten the burden of those who work for you. You know, we see all those stickers that talk about fair trade, and we don't really know what they mean, but you know what? We will be held accountable to God for how we spend our resources, for the kind of commerce that we do. So, do you know anything about how the clothes that you are wearing were made? Do you know anything about how your phone was made? Do you know whether the person that picked the beans for your coffee this morning was paid a fair wage? We can learn those things. We can lighten the burden of those who work for us. Next, God says, Let the oppressed go free. And if you're paying any attention at all, you know that there are more human beings in slavery, economic and sexual slavery today than any time in the history of the human race. Slavery is still a real thing. God says, Let the oppressed go free. Do something about, I mean, find out what the International Justice Mission is doing and their prayer meeting coming up on November 4th here in Boston. Read and learn the, the injustices. Find out what, what Route 1 ministry do, is doing for women who are, are being converted into sexual slaves. And let's, as the people of God, set the oppressed free. Which, by the way, if you remember, that's exactly what Jesus said. He came to do. Number four, God says, remove the chains that bind that bind people, the chains of racial um, prejudice. Um, the whole new Jim Crow. We have, we have very effective ways to oppress African Americans in our culture. And it's woven into so many things that if we are not African American, we don't even see it. Number five, God says, share your food with the hungry. One of the worst famines in the history of our human race is going on right now in East Africa. Share your food with the hungry. Number six, God says, give shelter to the homeless. Do you look the homeless on the streets in Boston in the eye? I, I actually don't give money to people on the street, but I try to look every person in the eye and give them the dignity of a greeting. And if I'm on my game, then I've got energy bars that I also hand out, but sometimes I miss that. Give shelter to the homeless. The um, undocumented aliens need shelter. The dreamers need shelter. So one of the questions at the conference was, why is it that in the church today more people form their impressions or their views on immigration from the news media and the politicians than they do from the Old Testament? That constantly says, look out for the alien, the stranger, and the sojourners among you. Number seven, give clothes to those who need them. Number eight, do not hide from your own flesh who need your help. There's a little bit of debate on what your own flesh means here. Some commentators say don't hide from your own family. When your family has needs, take care of your needs, which is true, and we should do that. Other commentators say your own flesh are human beings because we all share the, whole, share the same flesh Because every human person has dignity, we should therefore never hide from people who need our help. And both are true, so let's do both. Number nine, God says, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. One of the the phrases that kept coming up at the conference was, we need to engage in compassionate inquiry. We need to ask people how they're being oppressed so that they can speak and tell us their stories so that... Because if we don't ever ask people how they're being oppressed, then we are trapped in our own cultural conditioning and our own cultural biases. And we all have them, and it's inevitable. So to remove the yoke of oppression, we need to know what is oppressing the people in our, in our city, in our neighborhoods, um, in our classrooms, in our workplaces, and the people who are homeless on the street. We have a we have a disadvantage, folks. I have a disadvantage. I have lived my whole life without even knowing it on the platform of white male privilege. Most of you have lived your whole lives on the platform of upwardly mobile, educated Asians, model minority in the culture. Which means it's hard for and And harder for you because you also have to deal with the microaggressions and the the discrimination against you that I actually don't have to deal with. But if we don't get around people who are different from us who are suffering, if we don't engage in compassionate inquiry, we'll never get outside of our own cultural biases and our own cultural conditioning. And we'll never find the justice that Jesus came that the world might know. Removing the heavy yoke of oppression also means, um, brothers, we've got to ask our sisters if they have Me Too stories. They don't have to share them with us, but we've got to ask our sisters if they have those stories, and we have to repent, and we have to mourn with our sisters who have been sexually harassed. I heard four women's Me Too stories this week. One of them was one of my daughters. We need to remove the yoke of oppression of sexual harassment. Number 10, God says, stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. We don't have a clue what pointing your finger means. Culturally, we've lost that, except we know there's a finger we can point. And God says, no more. No more mockery and disdain for any person because every single human person is created in the image of God. Number 11, God says it again, feed the hungry And lastly, God says, help those in trouble. All of the verbs in those 12 um, calls to join God in justice, free, lighten, liberate, remove, share, give, see, feed, help, all of them are verbs of action. Until we do something, we are not engaging in the justice to which God calls us. What comes next in Isaiah 58 is a bit of a surprise. Because when I read the the first part of it, I I have a kind of a weight of guilt, and I say, have I done enough? And I know none of us can do everything, but have I even done what I could do or what I should do? And so what I kind of expect, and there are times in the scriptures where God just condemns his people for not joining him in his mission of justice in the world, but that's not what happens in Isaiah 58. God goes the other direction, and it's a curveball. What God shows us next is the glory of those who pursue justice. He's not, he's not trying to shame us. He's not trying to get us to feel guilty. He's trying to see, get us to see this is what our life could look like if we pursued the mission that Jesus came to fulfill on the earth. And it's another long list. Verse 8, God says, Our salvation will come like the dawn. So what happens is that in in the the middle of the night it gets darker and darker and darker and then when it's the darkest there's a glimmer of light at the dawn that's the person who's pursuing justice they go into a place of darkness and a little bit of light starts to shine and as they are persistent the dawn pushes back the darkness of that day number two our wounds will heal quickly. We don't know whether those are our own personal wounds, our own woundedness internally, or whether those are perhaps racial wounds and societal wounds. But God says that when people pursue justice, He shows up with power and presence to heal the wounds. So when our, our when we are suffering, when our culture and society is suffering. Very often it's because Christians haven't joined God in his mission of justice because if we had, our wounds would be healed quickly. Next, our godliness will lead us forward. Godliness is not just an absence of sin. Godliness is not coming to church more often. Godliness is doing justice as well. The glory of the Lord will protect us. If we are honest, we can look at the scriptures, we can look at, at great justice movements in the history of Christianity. Doing justice is not a safe endeavor all the time. Sometimes it's just plain dangerous. When Jesus in, in went to Nazareth and told the people there that he had come to set the prisoners free, to give sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, in his hometown, when Jesus announced that, they wanted to stone him to death. There will be times that pursuing justice will be dangerous. The promise from God is that he will always be there. He will always walk with us through. We may be martyred, but God will walk with us through that as well. When we were in Honduras, there was, within the first month, there was an expat who was leaving the country. And I remember, weirdest thing, he looked at me and said, by the way, there's this whole business on adopting Honduran babies. Don't get anywhere close to it to it because it's very, very dangerous. I had no clue what he was talking about, but um, within two months, we had invited an adopting mom to live with us because she said she, she had come from the state, she was adopting a hundred babies, something feels really out of whack, I don't know what, I don't feel safe. So she moved in with us. And, um, and all of a sudden, there was a guy standing outside across the street um, watching our house all the time. And then when we went up to church, because we basically lived our life between church and home, um, there's another guy always up there. So a few days into it, I'm thinking, got to figure out what's going on. I walk across the street. I say, um, I notice that you've been watching my house a lot. Who are you and what are you doing? And he said, didn't they tell you? I said, no. He says, we're Interpol you're in a very dangerous situation because you're standing against a, a criminal ring that is kidnapping babies to sell them into adoption into the U.S. And he says, we were told that we had to, to protect you and to protect that adopting mom. All right? God's in the habit of protecting his people when we stand for justice. Verse 9, when we call, the Lord will answer, I am here, he will answer quickly. Does God seem distant from you? Sometimes God goes distance to teach us things. Sometimes God's distant because we've left him. And when we pursue justice, God promises, I will answer you quickly. You will call, and I will answer. Verse 10, our light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around us will be as bright as noon. So I asked um, asked her if I could share this story. I met with Esther Kim, um, teaches school in Dorchester, um, every day that Esther goes to teach in her inner city school, she has to be alert for her own physical safety because it's not, a, it's not a safe place for a young Asian woman to go in and teach in her school. But she shows up every single day to love those children with a passionate love, to teach them, to show them that they have dignity when they may not be getting that anyplace else in their life. Esther Kim is pushing back the darkness. And that's what we get to do as people of justice. We're not all going teach to teach in Dorchester in an inner city school, but where you work, there's some way that you can push back the darkness. Where you live, there's going to be some way you can push back the darkness. When you talk to a homeless person um, in the, in, on the commons, you can push back the darkness. May we be people who are pushing back the darkness so much because the darkness will flee when the people of God show up with the presence of Jesus. Verse 11, the Lord will guide us continually. The Lord will give us water when we are dry. The Lord will restore our strength. God is also in the business of empowering us when we set off on the journey of justice. We will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. When we pursue justice, we will have resources beyond ourselves like streams of living water coming from within us by the Holy Spirit. We will have resources and gifts to nourish and care for and attend to the people around us. And then finally in verse 12, we will rebuild the desert ruins of our cities. As cornerstone, as we pursue the mission that God has given us, we're going to rebuild parts of Boston. The city will start to change because we have been passionate about pursuing justice. We will be known as rebuilders of walls. And we, we've gotten our mission statement that we will be a church without walls. Those are the walls that separate and divide us. But there are walls of protection that people need us to build and place around them, especially the vulnerable. And we will be re- rebuilders of walls of protection. And finally, God says, we will be restorers of homes, homes that are broken for whatever reason, It might be divorce. It might be abuse. It might be be imprisonment. It might be, be joblessness. Whatever has broken apart homes, we will be rebuilders of homes. We'll be rebuilding the basic building block of society as we join Jesus in the mission of justice. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 that he came to announce good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the captives, Recovery of sight to the blind, to see to, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the Lord's favor. Here's what's amazing. Now, we can't do this without Jesus. There's no way we can do this without Jesus. But what's amazing is that Jesus chooses to do it with us. In fact, Jesus chooses not to do it without us. We're being invited into a life of glory in pursuing. God's justice. So, based on the indictment against spirituality apart from justice, based on the invitation to join God in his mission for justice, and based on the glory of pursuing justice, where do we go from here? That's the tough question, right? Because the problems are huge. Just open the newspaper, just listen to all of the injustice. And so I've been very focused on this for a number of um, weeks, and it gets overwhelming when you realize how messed up the world is. Evil is alive and well on planet Earth. So where do we go from here? And it seems to me that we have to have a corporate plan for pursuing justice as a congregation. So we're putting together a think tank. It's been, there's been discussions around this. But if this is something that you know that you're supposed to invest in, then talk with Pastor Danny, talk with me, or talk with Andrew Cho. And we will get you in on the invitations to have these conversations about how we as a church can make a difference for justice in our city and in our world. Second thing it seems to me that we just have to get to is we have to get to a point of developing personal plans for pursuing justice. Otherwise, it's just another sermon and another book that we read or another African-American man gets shot or another woman gets harassed or raped to get to the point where we decide this matters enough that we will make pursuing, a, make a plan for pursuing justice in our lives. Because remember, I love that definition. Injustice is to be in a, in a position of influence and to do nothing. I don't know what that's going to take for you. I'm pretty sure that, that all of our plans are going to be different because we've all got different experiences. We've got different um, capacities. We've got different skills. God has, has equipped us in different ways. We've got different pains in our life. So I don't know what your plan is supposed to be. All I can do is beg of you to prayerfully ask Jesus to help you form a plan because success in the end won't be that Cornerstone Church is doing another activity that a bunch of us show up at. Success in the end is every single one of us has woven doing justice into the threads and the fabric of our own lives so that weekly we, there's, there are places where we are engaging to be rebuilders of what has broken. So in conclusion, so I, can I beg of you to think about your spirituality that it has to incorporate doing justice in the world or God's not well pleased. Um, in conclusion... Six of us were at a, um, a, an evening on Thursday night this last week called Q Commons. And I liked how they ended that discussion. The, the whole um, theme of the discussion was, how do we as Christians enter into dialogues to heal the, the brokenness and to bridge the divides in our culture? And they ended up with a very simple call that I think we can all start to do this week, even while we're trying to figure out our personal plans for justice. And um, they, they, they called it um, It's Up to Us. And as they talked about it, the, the head of the organization said, you know, it always really has been up to us who are followers of Jesus. So he says, if it's up to us, there are three things that I would encourage you to do. It's up to us, so let's speak up. When we see something, we must say something. When we know something is wrong, we must speak up courageously, civilly, but, but with a commitment that will not let go. We cannot be silent because when the church is silent, people die. Let's speak up. Secondly, it's up to us, so let's meet up. Find people who are different from us. Whoever them is, us versus them, find those people in your life and meet up with them. Otherwise, we'll stay stuck in our cultural conditioning and our cultural biases. We, another comment from the conference is diversity is not a social issue. It is a biblical issue. Read what's going to happen in heaven in Revelation. You're going to have a lot of people very different from you spending all of eternity with you. Let's meet up and let's get alongside people who are very different from us, whatever that is for you. And thirdly, since it is up to us, They said, let's listen up. Compassionate inquiry with those people who are different from us will enter us into whole new worlds of understanding. I wish every one of you could have been with me at this justice conference because I've been to other justice conferences where justice was talked about as something over there that we over here are going to do something about. This is the first justice conference that I've been in where we were in the middle of all of that. And we were crying together because of it. So let's listen up. Let's ask questions. Let's ask people where they feel oppressed, where they feel wounded, where they feel disrespected. Isaiah 58 gives us an indictment against spirituality without justice, gives us an invitation to the justice God wants, and it shows us the incredible glory of a life of justice. I like a, a, pulled this quote because I loved how this commentator talked about it at the end of the chapter. One commentator wrote this. The movement of thought here in Isaiah 58, the movement of thought is profound from removal of the acts of oppression to removal of the attitudes on which oppression depends to a sacrifice of oneself for the sake of those who have been oppressed. May we learn to sacrifice ourselves. For the sake of those who have been oppressed. And so God says this in Amos chapter 5. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Father in heaven, you, this, is not, this is not some, some strange, weird, out-in-left-field scripture. Isaiah 58 just reiterates what you say time and time again. And it was surprising to me to find out how often you say these things in the first person singular. You are the one speaking. So would you help us reorient our Christian lives to realize that to be right with you, we we have to be committed to the mission of justice that Jesus came to fulfill in our world. Would you give us the gift of sacrificing ourselves for the justice of others? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.